Graham, that is that that might take answer of the pod right there. That is uh I don't I don't I don't know what to say. <laughs> you can send me a text. If you ever see a ship anyway, send me a text. I'll tell you what Done. it's name. You're in. Uh, I, I I'm not sure the next time I'll see a ship, but when I do, you're my first call. Hi everybody, welcome to the Human Element Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I am super excited. We're going to do some different things today. First things first, we have four people on the pod, including me. So we've got Dan Caladine, Global Head of Media Futures, for his third visit. Dan, welcome. Thank you. We've got Christina Moyano, who's Chief Strategy Officer for Cara in Madrid. Thank you for joining us, Christina. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and we have Graham Denes, who is Group Strategy Director for Cara in South Africa. How you doing, yeah. Graham? Hi. Nice to see you. Thank you all for joining us. We are going to try to do the best we can to make this flow because we're going to use a little bit of a different format. Dan has prevailed upon me to use the format of something in the UK called Jukebox Jury. Apparently, it was also in the US called American Jury, although I think the viewership of that might have been a couple thousand people. But the principle of that is we're going to go through some emerging trends, some technology platforms, some things we see happening. And at the end of those conversations, we will sum it up and go, is it a hit or is it a miss? So we're going to try to add that in just for a little flavor here. Is that right, Dan? Yes, let's give it a go. All right, let's go do it. So, Dan, as we're diving in, can you kind of start and outline some of the biggest shifts we've seen in the technology landscape over the past two months or so through the pandemic? Well, I think the main thing is that everything has gone remote. So we've seen remote communications, as we're doing at the moment. We've seen remote socializing, remote education, remote healthcare, even things like remote dating. And then also we've seen a big explosion in some areas, for example, gaming, where there's much more interest in gaming almost as a way to fill the place of the sport, which has been cancelled. And so we're also seeing broadening demographics taking part in gaming. Yeah, I think those are definitely, you know, when we first did our virus pod, oh, good grief, six weeks ago, when this really started in earnest in the West, those are some of the things we talked about for sure at that time. So let's dive in. What companies and apps have sort of best leveraged customer insight to bring real value and connection to consumers. Can we quickly sort of go through a few observations maybe in different markets where that's happened? Graham, you okay if I start with you? Yeah, no problem. I would speak on behalf of sub-Saharan Africa because that's my role. I, I stretch across not only South Africa, but further north as well. So a couple of examples we've had just on our continent, closer home in terms of a company called Pick and Pay, very similar to a, a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's, mm. opening up for pensioner-only hours, allowing people to actually come and shop without having any crowds in the space, keeping people safe. Vodacom, they've opened up all data-free access for learning, school learning, adult learning, etc. And then the last one that I've seen that just really touched the heart of a lot of people in South Africa was a piece of communication from a retailer called ShopRite. And they actually depicted a person packing shelves, a little boy walking up to that person working in the, in the store packing shelves. And um, he says the words, your true colors are showing. And underneath the person packing the shelves, 
overall essentially is a Superman T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated across the whole of South Africa as well as further beyond the borders. I well. love that. Thanks, Graham. Christina, from your perspective, what are sort of the areas where you've seen companies or applications sort of connecting to the moment? Today's people's connectivity is key for the relationships. We are in isolation. And it's like a new beginning for work, uh, digital gathering, shopping, and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So as Rahan says, the mobile companies, Vodafone, Movistar, here in Spain are open services and giving free megas and, well, uh, data to consumers, to users, to maximize the opportunities. And Microsoft is doing a key role in market, giving free access to some of uh, its platforms for workers. And here in Spain, uh, kids are a fundamental part of this need of connectivity because, well, the majority of the schools are not prepared to can access to the remote teaching classes. And Planeta, that is a publisher one here in Spain, has put on air digital platform to, to connect schools and, and, and kids to continue with the normality in the, in the school homing. Dan, anyone else you want to add from your perspective? Um, I think there's a lot of people doing really interesting things from the very big ones like the BBC, who've produced a whole number of resources for people trying to educate their kids at home, which I think is fantastic. But also what I love in terms of creativity is how lots of the relatively new, relatively small restaurant brands are pivoting to not only do things like home delivery, but also produce their own meal kits. So you can now create your own burgers from some really small burger chains, cook your own pizzas. They they send you this box with all the things you need to make the pizza and stuff. So I'm, we're seeing some really good things both at the at the top end and also among the much smaller brands as well. I think that's a great summary. Let's jump into our jukebox jury. First topic on the table is under the heading virtual socializing. And right out of the jump is an application called House Party. It's actually owned by Epic, who owns Fortnite, which I think is a, a rather interesting thing. Let's talk a little bit about House Party and its impact and growth. And then we'll do a hit or miss at the end. So Dan, you want to talk to us first about House Party? Yeah, so House Party really started exploding, I think about a month ago, where suddenly it's it's one of these things, almost like the very early days of something like Facebook, where somebody joins it and then they invite their friends and then they invite all their friends. So it grew, without coining a phrase, in a, in a very viral way. And I think people loved how it was this new thing that they'd never heard of before that was very easy. You can spot somebody else who's live and just tap on a button and then join them in a conversation in a very, very easy way. So what we saw was it leaping into the app charts in lots of countries and leaping to the top of the app charts in many. It's easily one of the top ones here in the US. Christine, are you seeing the same kind of growth for it in your market? Yes, absolutely. From kids to the oldest one, you must be in the house when it calls. So House Party has a huge growth and is a new discovery for people. This kind of apps, some are new, but some were already on our smartphones. Mm. And this time in isolation, I think it people the opportunity to rediscover and experience utility. And now that we all are all in a long distance relationship, 
I think it could be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I'm in a long distance relationship, uh, but I definitely am. <laughs> and my wife definitely is like, you are too close, please. Could you go to some other part of the house? Graham, from your perspective, same thing with House Party in your markets? Yeah, I think any app that enables virtual connection and sort of access to other people right now from a digital point of view will fare pretty well. It's still in its infancy in South Africa in terms of your other players like like your other social networks, I suppose you could say. But I would say right now, any new platform at the moment will be adopted in South Africa, especially if it, it enables us to chat to each other and and um, form a bit of a relationship. And, and also it's a, a nice place for uh, younger people sometimes to have a good conversation as well. You know, something that their laggard parents sometimes don't understand and they like to sort of have that status around it. But then obviously there's cracks. You know, when we talk about hit or miss with any new technology or any new software or platform, cracks begin to emerge. I mean, just look at Zoom at the moment. Suddenly there's security issues yep. and there's all sorts of things going on. So I think with, with any company that scales really quickly and wasn't necessarily prepared for that scale, I think you're going to see it grow and you're going to see it grow quickly. But then as soon as the cracks start to appear, you're going to see a few problems come out of that at the same time. Yep. For now, I'll say 100%, but I'm sort of banking on the future that if the cracks show, could be All right, fair enough. Uh, let's go back through. Christina, hit or miss from your perspective? I think a hit. Yeah, sounded that way. Dan? I'm going to say I think it's a miss, unfortunately, because I've already <laughs> taken it off my phone. If you have it on your phone, you'll know that notifications are amazingly annoying in that it seems to be the only technology I know that allows you, even when your phone is on mute, to send you really loud notifications. So... I muted the notifications for a while, which meant that I wasn't actually taking part in many conversations on it. And then after a while, I just thought, I've got too many apps on my phone. So I think this may have a trajectory of something like Pokemon Go in that it goes up, then goes down, but there'll be a hardcore of people who continue to use it. But I think it may have sort of had its moment and then, and now it's gone. Interesting. I, I love it when you go contrarian, Dan. It gives me great joy. I'm going to weigh in and say hit, and here's why. I think, you know, the early gaming integration on it does give it a little bit of extra zip versus just the Zoom. But again, I hear that there's definitely definitely risks on that. Before we leave House Party, I want to ask a question. Do you anticipate, and again, this isn't just limited to House Party, do you anticipate that there can be innovative advertising models in any of these platforms that actually are successful? And anybody can jump into that one. I think they could be. I think... House Party had removed the advertising elements of it, and they must be thinking about what things they could do and what services they could produce, you know, provide to brands to actually organize their own events and things. So I think at the moment there isn't, but they must be working hard on it. And I would hope that they would try to create something brand new in the way that Snapchat created brand new ways of advertising. I think it should take a, a lot of creativity to become like the perfect way to advert these new generations. And I think we, we talked about Fortnite in, in, in the previous questions. Yep. You, if you take a look to this platform, the way that they use the connection between digital realities and how branded integration ended up becoming prominent part of the platform culture. And I think this kind of native apps that are connected to the people needs and that evolve with the people use it, I think for sure we'll, we'll find a way to be full of entertainment properties and to connect people with passions, with celebs, sports, even heroes, whatever. 
it's sort of the same the same thinking I use around WhatsApp. You know, so many people have asked over the years, you know, how do we advertise in WhatsApp? And and I think something like House Party, essentially, you've got to build for the platform and build for the functionality of that platform. I think you will probably see advertising in such a platform, but I'm hoping that it won't be, you know, just that standard advertising that's essentially, you know, put a display ad. Yeah. Banner it should be some kind of function. Yep. Platform. I think you're exactly right. The degree, and this is Christina's point too, like the degree mm-hmm. to which a creative integration can occur is where success will be as opposed to taking an old model. I think that's right. I think so. Last thing before we leave sort of this virtual socializing area, it's been remarkable to me, you know, happy hours, game nights, you know, we had Sean on the podcast last week and he admitted that he literally was going to rewatch Test Cricket over video conference with his friends, which to me is insane. But, you know, there's been a lot of applications there. When we get through to a more physically social era, when that happens, and again, that there's a lot of debate on when that's going to be, what of these things are going to stick? I think things like the family video conference will continue. For sure. My mother used video call conference for everything now. She doesn't know that it is six. It's like, why did they call me normally? It's like, my phone. You're asking me just for whatever, whatever it is, like video calling is, why? I think we will reduce the amount of video calls that for sure it will stick. <laughs> Do you think that'll stick? Go ahead, Dan. I think that sort of thing will increase. I think there's a few things as well where people will do a lot more planning over things like video. So if you're planning to meet up with friends in different continents, instead of, you know, sending emails, you just say, you know what, well, let's just jump on a half hour call and then and then have, you know, five of you or something planning about how something is going to go and just having a good a good time. I think also for those of us who do who have friends in, in many different parts of the world. I think the idea of a virtual birthday party or a big virtual birthday party for people who can't make it in, in person. Yeah is the sort of thing that could continue. So I think there will be some elements and I think, you know, some people will find things that work. I'm not so sure about some things like virtual quizzes and things like that and virtual whiskey tastings and and those sorts of things. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't done the virtual whiskey tasting. Yeah, Graham, go ahead. What do you think? To be honest, I think we're only sort of seeing the tip of the iceberg at the moment. So, you know, humans are incredibly social by design. and, And I think as an example, in South Africa, we're in full lockdown. So our lockdown, we're not actually allowed out of our yep. house. Physically, you cannot leave your house. So it depends from country to country of what that means from quarantine to lockdown or restrictive measures. But I think we're constantly being creative and finding new ways to communicate. So, I mean, something somebody said to me the other day, which I thought was incredible, was imagine that soon enough on Zoom, if they make 3D printers cheap enough, that you can send each other different things through Zoom while you're talking. And as you're talking, it prints out on the dining room table next to you. And you can actually hold that thing you've just printed that someone sent you over Zoom. Like, I just think there's so many incredible opportunities for the technology, but it completely depends on the need. And the need is whether you're in lockdown, quarantine, or, or nothing. Right, right. I think that's a great point. People don't want to live life remotely. People want to be with the people they love and near their passions. And now that we are in, we are in isolation, but we have to take advantage of the situation. I love the idea to be in a concert with Chris Martin, private life, through social media. Like I, I, did, I think people want to replace the feeling, for instance, to be in a stadium 
surrounding by people with the emotions and good vibration of thousands of people together singing a song at the time. We will fight to recover this for sure. Yeah, I, nothing can replace that. I agree, I agree. But I think it'll be interesting to see whether it, it gets added on in some way, right? And I think some of that will depend upon whether there's a revenue model for it. So if I'm a huge fan of Coldplay, I'm making this up, and they're playing in Madrid this weekend, is there a way that I can participate in that experience virtually, you know, and then it's much more thought through and it has a revenue model to it? I think that's an interesting question. Maybe we atomize, you know, the traditional live streaming or broadcasting of that event into a much more unique one-on-one situation. I think that's interesting. All right, esteemed panel, we're going to jump ahead to esports. Are we ready? This is my least favorite topic in the world because I just don't get it. But that's okay. (laughs) I'm an old man. In the UK, the, I believe, Dan, the Grand National Horse Race was replaced with the virtual broadcast. I think that's what happened. I know there's been a number of F1 drivers sort of driving virtually on Twitch. I know in the U.S., there's been a lot of basketball players playing NBA 2K by themselves, you know, or against each other virtually, and they've put that up on broadcast. We actually also had this thing in the U.S. There's a, a modified basketball game called Horse. NBA players playing each other in their own little private backyard courts. What can we learn about some of these virtual sporting events? Obviously, it's different than the exact, you know, esports model. And then a lot of this is sort of celebrities playing esports. But what, what can we observe in this? Graham, why don't we start with you? From a brand point of view, learnings that I'm starting to see already, if I spoke from a South Africa and Africa point of view, data and uh, data prices obviously have, have an issue to play in terms of how big esports can become just quite yet. And that's obviously not necessarily uh, the same in other parts of the world. And the other one is just, I, I find there's a bit of a concern about controlling the narrative. So especially if it's live, I think there's a lot of brands that obviously have a lot of brand safety rules, a lot of elements they have to adhere to. And I'm sure if anybody's ever played a a, a game before, whether it be online or or just in your own home, uh, there's often a couple of expletives and things that might pop out that you didn't mean. I've shouted at the screen many times playing golf club on Xbox. So I can imagine if, if I was typing it in and playing against other people, you might find that that would become quite hard to control. Um, so somebody like a moderator, et cetera, would become vital for a brand if they were to be involved in that esports mm. arena. That's a good observation. Dan, what about your perspective here? Yeah, I think people like Twitch do build in a bit of a delay so that you can take those sorts of things out and you can moderate for those sort of things, certainly in the most important events. Mm. Uh, what I think is that there's two elements to sport, really. One is the actual game itself. And then the second is the idea of the celebrity and the idea of identifying with somebody. For some people, certainly when they watch sports, part of it is about, you know, I'm a fan of this person as well as I'm a fan of this this club. And so I think with the with the virtual things, particularly when you get celebrities in like Raheem Sterling and when you get Lewis Hamilton doing the motor racing and things, there's always an element of people are really interested to see what their heroes are actually doing. So I think it works in that sort of respect. But I've also seen that 
the numbers are, I think, significantly lower than would actually watch if if they were if they were proper sports playing. With the virtual Grand National, they had something like five million people watching, but I imagine some of that was people watching out of curiosity, and then also it was on prime time on TV, and then a lot of people, you know, will just sure. will just watch when that sort of thing is on. But what I also think, in in a way like the Olympics, I think that there will be some breakout hits. There will be some things that people hadn't been exposed to before. And what we've seen, we had some data from Twitch today, some some publicly available Comscore data, where they were saying that the demographics have changed significantly over the course of the last couple of months because you're getting much older people suddenly taking an interest in these sorts of things and suddenly visiting the platform. And there was some sort of crazy spike among people visiting Twitch above the age of 65, (laughs) which, you know, presumably you would have thought beforehand would be pretty low, but now there are quite a lot of those people getting involved as well. So I think it's I think it's really interesting. And I think with all sorts of content, there are things that people will find that they like and there are things that people will think, you know, I really enjoyed that. Let's let's do that again. Yeah, I gotta tell my mom to get on Twitch. She's uh she's seventy five. We'll see how that goes. Christina, from your perspective, what do you think kind of the, the opportunities are here in this esports virtual sports area? Again, from brand perspective, I think they should stop thinking about how to start new partnerships with the tech giants, uh, like Samsung, Facebook, or Google even, not uh, just as media vendors, to look for the big opportunity for me to create the experience together. So I think if sports follow the esports trend, I think brands should be aware of to look for this uh, kind of partnerships. And this is really new for them in the, in the traditional sports territory. And I think uh, technology as an esports uh, play a key role transforming, as I said, the fun experience. And I think yep. fun experience here is going to be quite different if, if this virtual engaging and enjoyment and entertainment for the sports became a reality. I want to end sort of on one quick question there, which is, it doesn't feel like we're going to have an instantaneous return to people in stadiums watching Manchester United or the Yankees or, you know, what have you. Is there a role to play in that interim solution until we get people back in the stands where this provides an opportunity for fan connectivity? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think so. I think so too. Graham, your perspective there? I think there's actually going to be, although it's on a smaller scale now, there's going to be an expectation as well for consumers that is going to change. So if you have the ability to to text or, or send in messages right directly to, for example, players that you've always admired, it's going to be a different, excuse the, the pun, a different ball game to sitting on your couch and sort of watching the players that you know they're miles away yeah. from you and you can't talk to yeah. them. But if you can actually speak to someone, there's going to be an expectation from consumers as well for those celebrities to have far more of an engagement with them going forward. And I think a lot of pressure is going to be put on celebrities as well as production companies to include that as part because it'll be an expectation. That's a really interesting point because you're right. I mean, a lot of these guys live very disconnected lives from the rest of us and are highly managed both from a PR and access perspective. You're right. I think this is a this is a vastly different thing, and I, and I think that'll present some challenges. Dan, your perspective here on what what do we do in this interim period? Is there an avenue for 
virtual access to bridge the gap till we get back to fans in in a full fan experience in a stadium? I think so, yes. And I think it's it's been really interesting that over the past few years, the major clubs have had essentially official players. So they've sponsored, you know, the top FIFA players and things like that to represent Manchester City or Manchester United or whatever. So mm. they've always had an eye to it. And I think this is just going to accelerate that. And I think they must be seeing this as, you know, a potential opportunity, whether it be for merchandise or something. So let's get to hit or miss here. I mean, obviously, esports was already a phenomenon before. So hit or miss is not exactly on point. Let's let's do hit, meaning it's going to continue to accelerate, or miss, meaning it'll stay on a on a current trajectory. Let's do that. Dan, your perspective? I think hit. I think Twitch is a platform a bit like Netflix in that it's incredibly robust. It works really well. And when people try it for the first time, they'll think, you know, there's so much stuff here. I could spend a few hours exploring this and then come back tomorrow and do the same thing. Yeah. Christina? Even more if we think in digital generations, millennial set these people, for them, there's going to be a hit. Uh, are we going to go three for three here, Graham? Are you going to do what Dan did the last time in Descent? Well, I'm going to have a caveat. If that's I love okay. it. We love I caveats. I would say hits, except uh, obviously where I am geographically, again, I'll mention the fact of um, access to data, access to yeah, the internet and, and yeah. digital technology. So hit, but in, in a while to come. Still growing, going to take a while. So let's talk about that a second, Graham. It's a really important point, And it's it's not simply, you know, a continental point, right? It's not simply that Africa has a, you know, an access issue. There are material parts of the rest of the world, Western civilization, Eastern civilization as well, where there are, you know, material gaps in infrastructure for folks that can participate in these things. Certainly in the United States, we have that in lower income and rural communities. Do we anticipate an acceleration of providing access both through public and private partnerships there? Absolutely. Massively. I mean, the leaps I'm seeing on our continent in terms of connectivity and providing people access to to data, hardware, software, it's been unbelievable and it's, it's provided exponential growth for our continent as well. All right. New category, food delivery. We're going to try to get through this pretty quickly. Food delivery, not a new idea. <laughs> Right, right. Been around for my entire life, but obviously a materially different environment. Christina, talk a little bit in your market about how, you know, food delivery has changed or accelerated over the past, you know, uh, six, eight weeks. I have heard uh, different things about this because mm. for sure there is platforms like the Rivero, Justit, they're continuing with the activity. But think about the amount of restaurants that we have closed right now. And here in Spain, the, the trend was that this kind of platform were open its own restaurants, like white label, you know what I mean? To, to deliver food, just cook out of restaurants was not a, a trend right now here in Spain. So they have hard times like Cabify and this kind of, of platforms. No? We will see what happens with this. For sure, will the activity uh, start. They will try hard to, to maintain their capacity financially and logistics, because I think here in Spain, they are suffering a lot. Yeah, I, it's certainly true here in, in the U.S. as well. Dan, your perspective, obviously, there's huge consumer demand around food delivery, and there's lots of adoption. 
but the financial model is a difficult one, especially with the core foundation of the restaurant infrastructure so disrupted. I think it's a very complex case because I think everybody assumed that people like Deliveroo would be being like Netflix, just seeing numbers going up and up and up. But actually what happened was because a lot of the supply was very restricted, so there would be no McDonald's and there, you know, some of the biggest pizza chains wouldn't be on delivery all of a sudden. People didn't really know what to order and people you know, had actually stopped ordering. So Deliveroo... I think I'm right in saying, found that their numbers were going down. And as a result of that, the government has actually allowed the investment from Amazon that they were previously thinking was anti-competitive. And I think it's a really strange situation, but I'm sure what it is doing in the same way with Twitch is it's it's making people who didn't do food delivery before think about it, whether it be the restaurant or whether it be the consumer. And I think for brands as well, they're looking at these at something like Deliveroo as a channel which could actually help them get their product into people's homes. So people yeah. like Deliveroo have now started doing a lot more grocery delivery and yeah. then some brands are very interested to know whether you know they can be the default such and such within that grocery delivery because when people have a grocery delivery then they're much I think they're much less picky about which particular brands they get within that and also when you have delivery in that sort of way there's much less price elasticity you know that you want it and you want it delivered so it costs whatever it costs right graham obviously this is another infrastructure issue it seems to me in your particular region potentially that that there's a probably a vast differential across individual markets in what exists talk to us a little bit about that strange enough this is one where i might throw a spanner in the I works. love it We've seen a, a, a huge boom in South Africa in terms of delivery, uh, the likes of Uber Eats, Mr. Delivery, et cetera, et cetera. And what we've found is that it's actually a fantastic uh, job creation opportunity as well. So before, you know, if I think back a couple of years ago, I've never seen so many motorbikes on the road with a little sort of plastic container on yep. the back delivering food. I know me personally, since Uber Eats came here, I've increased the amount of takeaways that I ordered um, substantially. But obviously, I'm speaking from a sample of one there. But I do think that in South Africa, especially, I can't talk for the other continents. I haven't done much research into it on that particular front. But definitely in South Africa, you're seeing a hell of a lot more people using delivery services and takeaway food delivery services. All right. So hit or miss, Graham. Hit. Christina. I think when all this strange situation gets normal again, it, it will be continual as a hit and growing. But... Yes, in this moment, I think they are suffering. Mixed in the interim, yeah. Dan? I think it's a hit, and I think it's a hit because they're broadening what they deliver, so they're, they're going to be delivering things like grocery products, but also I think new models are emerging with delivery where restaurant owners themselves are going out and delivering things, or independent chefs are going out and delivering things in their local neighborhood as well. So I think it's a hit. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Let's get to the last one super quickly. Obviously, entertainment, I would argue, is hard to argue that is anything other than a hit. But let's see if we can get into a little bit of specifics. It's been a boon, certainly in this market in the U.S. for OTT. There are increases in television viewership, although much more modest uh, in the U.S. And I think, Dan, that's probably true in the U.K. as well. You know, we're going to run into a situation in which there isn't content. (laughs) Mm-hmm. right? We're not making any new. There's no big budget production being done in for movie theaters or for television studios. 
what are the implications of that for the OTT players and for broadcast? Are we going to start, you know, rerunning old sitcom series? Are we, you know, going in for a dose of nostalgia? What, what's that going to look like, Graham? I, I agree. It is obviously production houses and production has slowed down, but I think the word content, because it's such a broad term, uh, I would almost sort of disagree with the lack of content. Because if you think about how much content is produced every single day by people, sure. just generally people on like social media, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say the angle that you might start seeing is that traditional production houses might start using UGC type content more in their programming. So they'll semi-produce or part produce a show by putting, not user-generated content, let's call it consumer content or, or people content. So a great example, actually, I've had a proposal from Viacom recently um, for MTV, and they've developed a show, I think it's called House Party, where they've literally taken snippets from people like the same as you would see on TikTok, doing various things in their house during lockdown, and they've sort of semi-produced this show, and they're airing it on MTV yep. for people to watch of people doing different things in their houses in different parts of South Africa. So I think you're going to see a lot more content like that starting to happen and more actuality-based programming as opposed to that produced sort of, let's call it storytelling, movie-based yeah. content. Uh, I, that makes a lot of sense. Christina, your perspective? I think they, they should reinvent the way they, they produce the content as conventional TV has done. Yeah, the way they do the production. Yes, exactly. Dan? I think there's so much stuff in the archive that people haven't seen. So we've been through several years of what people were calling peak TV, where there was, so, I think we got to a point last year where there was something like 500 scripted series being produced in the States alone. And I'm sure most of us have only seen tip of the iceberg of that stuff. So what I would imagine will be happening is that people at Netflix will be saying, okay, here's some here's some hidden gems that not many people have actually seen. And then trying to mm. think of ways to actually promote that, whether it be asking people what their favorite series that that most people hadn't seen had been, or even sort of promoting online discussions of these things, you know, and watch parties and things like that. So I don't think there's a great deal of danger of us running out of stuff but i do think that we're gonna have to wait a long time for the next series of such and such all right so let's do hit or miss on two levels one ott the other being more traditional broadcast dan hit or miss for those two things so ott definitely a hit i think more traditional broadcast i think it's been a massive hit for some things so for things like news programming and for things that the ott channels can't do and for things where you really need a local perspective I think that's a massive hit as well. Yeah. Christina? I think hit. I think most of us see as the opening for streaming services has been in their expecting takeover of everything. I think a hit. Graham? Yep, I'm in agreement. So uh, that's our first non-caveated three for three. Congratulations. It only, <laughs> it only took us half an hour. Fantastic. I love it. All right, we're going to end with something we call the lightning round. So just very short answers to quick questions. Graham, we're going to start to you. In the past month, what has been your favorite app? Uh, News 24. News 24. <laughs> Find out what is going on in the world. Definitely, that would be my most used and my favorite, although probably might sound a little bit weird, is uh, marine traffic because I spend most of my day locked up in my house looking out my top window and I can see the harbor. So marine traffic allows me to identify all the different ships in the harbor and see where they've been and where they're going. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Christina, your perspective, favorite app the past month? Favorite app is Instagram, but I have cover and and, and finally understand TikTok. (laughs) You finally understand TikTok. I got to confess, if you've got an hour to waste, you can waste an hour on TikTok pretty fast. Me actually making a TikTok, unlikely. But we've got some people in the business. I will not reveal who they are, but there's some senior people who are bought in on TikTok. I'll tell you that. We've got some some peers in the business who are on board with TikTok. Dan, <laughs> favorite app past month? Well, I would say TikTok as well. I think with everything that's going on in the world, TikTok is so uplifting. And also from a UK perspective, there are so many different, you know, blinding lights, dancers and things like that done by people in healthcare uniforms with the scrubs on, with their masks on and everything. And you can just imagine, you know, worst day of all at work for them, but then they've got a half an hour and they just make a video of themselves dancing. And I just think that's that's the most wonderful thing. Yeah, I agree with that. There's been a lot of user-generated content in and around healthcare workers and hospitals that has been deeply touching in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. All right, Dan, favorite show that you've binged in the past month? Well, it would have to be Tiger King. And I think for most of us, it would have to be Tiger King. But also what I'm really enjoying on Netflix is trying to find stuff that I'd missed the first time around, stuff, you know, the sort of hidden gems, basically. Christina, favorite show you've binged in the past month? Yes, the last series that I have seen in Netflix that is Unorthodox. Did you see it? No, I didn't. Really good. Really good. All right, it's on my list. Yes, and this kind of short series, like four episodes, like it's to watch uh, one day. That's bingeable for me. My daughter is like, you know, she'll binge a 22 episode series. I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. But four, (laughs) I think I can handle. Graham. I know it's old, but uh, I've been watching Peaky Blinders. Ah, yes. Really good. And I've enjoyed that. And strangely enough, I have an addiction to watching old boxing videos on YouTube. And if you talk about binging, just have to put in boxing bouts on YouTube and you can sit there for hours and hours. Boxing videos on YouTube and, and tracking the ships. I got it. I've watched a ton of James Bond in the past month. I'm a big James Bond fan to begin. So I, I can't tell you the number of times I've just, you know, fallen into, and I'm, I'm talking, you know, the super campy ones too, like Moonraker, which is one of my all-time favorites. Utterly absurd ridiculous, but Roger Moore at his peak of his powers. When this is over or we're to the next level of progress, what's the one thing you're looking forward to the most, Christina? Well, obviously met my people (laughs) outside, but the really thing that I'm missing, just thinking that we are not going to be able to do in a short term, that is travel. Yeah, agreed. Dan? I think it's going to be having friends around for dinner. I I really enjoy socializing. I really enjoy cooking and, and having people around. And I also know that that's much more practical than going down the pub because I think within small groups, so like four people or something, I'm so looking yeah. forward to doing that again. You're already rationalizing. What's the first thing I can do? Maybe yeah. four people sounds doable. Yeah. Yes. Graham, maybe getting on one of those ships? <laughs> Yeah. By the way, I've tried. They didn't do. They didn't go for it. <laughs> security. Yeah, I think I'd echo the rest of the team sentiments here. I mean, I'm really looking forward to actually just having physical contact again. Obviously, you know, see my friends, family as well, and, and uh, see my work colleagues. Actually, yeah. I really miss actually just having a bit of banter with them in the office and working a little bit more closely with them. But outside of that, I would say surfing, running, and 
riding my bike yeah. would be fantastic as yeah. well. Yeah, I, we've talked about this. I've, I've mentioned this on this pod before. I miss the people I work with, for sure. Yeah. I cannot thank you all enough. Thank you so much for making time to do this. Dan, thanks for coming back a third time. I appreciate it. Christina and Graham, thank you for making your first appearance. Hopefully you'll come back on again. Sure. All right, fantastic. And we've we've managed to keep the jukebox jury, Dan. Maybe we'll plan for the next time we do this. I think it's good pilot. All right, thank you so much, everybody. Please stay safe and we'll see you soon.